the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 251 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Megley, at time of recording, 11.29 a.m. on Sunday, July 11th, 2021. Here to join me today to talk about the first part of the 2021 Cannes Film Festival, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Bianca Gardner. Hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. All right, so we're really, really excited this week because there's uh, the largest film festival in the world taking place right now over the course of two weeks. This show today is going to serve as a recap of the first week, and then next week we'll recap the final five days of the festival as well. We're also going to have uh, Cole, otherwise known as the Oscar expert, as you might know him on social media, call in with his firsthand experience at the festival. We're going to go over the polls. We're going to answer fan questions. We're going to discuss the trailers for Disney's Encanto and also a can title that is premiering later this week, Nitram. But first and foremost, what has everyone been watching this week? I'm curious to know. Passing it over first to Josh Parham. So this week I have caught up with a couple of new movies. Um, one that came out about a week ago that I finally saw was The Tomorrow War. Oh, yes. I know yeah. that that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is not a movie that I would expect you to watch, but at the same time, uh, what'd you think? <laughs> well, you know, actually, I find that the premise of sci-fi action is something that I am normally attracted to. And I think that for the most part, this movie is pretty much like dumb fun. Like, it's not very smart with what it's doing, but it was entertaining for what it was, especially with the action sequences. Those creatures are amazing, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Really great creature design. I totally agree about that. The problem I have, though, is that about like halfway, the movie just stops being dumb fun and just is plain dumb. Like it really just devolves into like the most basic Michael Bay action movie you can think of. And I really was like kind of losing it at the end. It just became really stupid. (laughs) But like, it's fine. I did have some fun with it. I wish it stuck the landing a little bit better but you know for what it is it, it it's decent it's okay yeah yeah i wish that that movie could have seriously have been great with a capital g instead it was okay like there are some elements that make it very watchable like the creatures and uh some of the action sequences like you said but oh, man that movie's almost two and a half hours long too <laughs> yeah yeah it it's definitely a movie that feels like it's ending and then continues on for another 40 minutes. <laughs> insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. Uh, what else you got? Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that I did finally see the Fear Street movies, the two of them that are on Netflix right now. And when I saw the first one, 1994, I actually really wasn't that into it. I found that the story was like very 
kind of sloppily told and I really wasn't that into the characters and word on it was pretty positive. And so I was like, Ugh, this isn't really a good start. I didn't really care for that one, but I think 1978 is actually an improvement. I did like that one. I think the tone is a lot more consistent. It's got a lot of like kind of fun kills in it as a horror movie. And I thought it was just a more entertaining venture. So I, I know that there's a lot of positive word on both of those movies right now. 94, I just thought was okay, but if I needed to see that to get to the better movie of 78, which I find to be way more entertaining and satisfying, then I guess it was worth it. So um, currently, really wouldn't recommend 94 or Fear Street, but 78 was actually really good. All right, cool. Bianca, what about yourself? Um, well, I obviously saw Black Widow, which you can um, check out my thoughts on um, the previous podcasts. Um, and yeah, I won't really discuss that here because I've kind of gone over that already. But I have also seen Freaky, um, the Vince Vaughn body swap horror sort of thing. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting premise, a bit far fetched, but you know, that's body swap movies for you. Uh, and then I saw The Killing of Two Lovers, which was uh, incredible. I love that movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The last, um, what, like 10 minutes of that film went places where I was not expecting. And I I actually had like sort of, you know, when you literally holding your breath because you're just so taken back by something. That's how it felt. And it was just so such an interesting film I, did, I didn't really think it was going to go to the places that it did so that was a and it's really like short runtime yeah. isn't it it's mm -hmm. incredible it's such economic storytelling yeah, and yeah. it has like no real like bells and whistles necessarily no. it just uses traditional filmmaking techniques to still make that movie feel like so immersive and full like with its sound design and the way that mm. it's shot oh I, I that's that's still one of my favorite films of this year so far by far. Yeah. Yeah. Not a single frame is wasted in that movie and and the performances. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. And um, another film that I watched, which was two and a half hours, I believe, which is the same runtime as um, The Tomorrow War and far more enjoyable is the sparks brothers documentary oh another one that's really great this year isn't it a lot of fun it's just <laughs> so great to watch and really so sort of put a smile on my face and i just um yeah it just it's a really it's a, it's a lovely sort of movie like a, a love letter to to that band and um i was just blown away by like the scope of it is really incredible. So that's definitely been a highlight of, of my week so far. Cool. Awesome. Tom, what about yourself? It's been kind of a light week for me. I, I, Film-wise, I, I can report on two, one old and one new. Uh, the new one I saw was a documentary called The Lost Leonardo. Oh, yeah. I saw mm. this over at Tribeca. That was, that was also one of the better documentaries mm. from the festival, Very too. Very good. Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, you know, for uh, for folks who don't know about this particular picture, it's the, the focus is on the real life events of the uh, uh, sleeper hunter, art hunter, who uh, finds a uh, painting in a New Orleans garage and, and sells it for $1,175. And eventually through 
uh, what the film details in terms of periods of authentication and the price goes up because they think it might be a real Leonardo da Vinci. It winds up selling uh, at uh, uh, Sotheby's for $450 million, the most money ever spent on a, a piece of art. It's interesting that the approach that the documentary takes is it presents it as a mystery almost. You know, there are unexpected twists and turns throughout it. And I found it very gripping. It could almost work as a uh, fictional movie. Uh, the story is so fantastic. Uh, Academy-wise, I think it, it provides an interesting alternative uh, to a lot of the celebrity-driven docs that we've seen this year. It is certainly one of a kind, and uh, I suspect that it may uh, find some interest among the Academy, though, because it's very different, and uh, you know, and it works uh, so so well as an entertaining and fascinating piece of art. So uh, I would say, look out! This may be a player later on, but it's a it's a really really entertaining doc. In any case, when it, uh, take a look for it when it comes out in August. The other uh, film I saw which is not that old a film. It came out at the end of last year, but I never caught it for some reason. It just fell through the cracks. Is the Gerard Butler Mad Comet movie, Greenland. Yes. Mm. Underrated. Boy, I did not expect it. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, these kind of natural disaster movies, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for for any uh, movie that has a crowd screaming in the streets. Uh, but uh, it, this one is very different because it focuses and has a very laser-like focus on a family. And it becomes a family story rather than a disaster story. The disasters happening around them. It's intelligent and it brings a certain quality of characterization that I never expect in a movie like this. And uh, it, it made a little bit of news uh, this week in terms of a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, the sequel sold to STX Films for $75 million, which is pretty considerable for a film that never got a real theatrical release. I hope that the sequel can measure up to the first because the first really, I, I think the first benefited from just low expectations considering it's a Jar Gerard Butler action ended world movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very, very surprised by how grounded and realistic uh, and terrifying at times uh, some of the action set pieces were. Yeah, mm -hmm. You really care for this family and you want them to get through this. And they've got some unexpected roadblocks uh, to try and get to safety. And uh, I, I guess since there's a sequel, they make out OK. But it's the, the journey to get there and how smart that journey is that I think really distinguishes it. I'm going to be extremely short this week because I can't talk about any of the movies <laughs> that I saw this week. What a problem to have, Matt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I will tell you uh, what I did see, but I can't say anything. So um, I saw Vivo, uh, which is going to be coming out from Netflix, uh, one of their animated feature films uh, starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, another Netflix film, Gunpowder Milkshake, which you all will be hearing about uh, very, very soon. Uh, I saw the new M. Night Shyamalan film, Old. And I saw Jolt with Kate Beckinsale uh, by... Tanya Wexler, who um, pre whose previous film, Buffaloed, I liked very, very much. And I wish I could say more. <laughs> I wish I could say more. Uh, I wish I could say uh, more about the uh, Cannes uh, films that are playing uh, over the last week, too. But apparently I was told that those weren't screening for anyone in New York. Not anyone at all. 
No one. Apparently, yeah. Nobody was able to see them. Nobody was able to see them. Somehow they got reviews up, written, before the screening actually ended. But nope, didn't pre-screen. Funny how that works out. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Anyway, Can 2021. Let's talk about it. Why don't we first hear from Cole, the Oscar expert. Let's have him call in and talk about his experience, and then we'll talk about our own general thoughts and reactions from the past week. Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more Genuine Testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey Podcast! Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey Podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey Podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) Amazing testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. All right, everybody. We're really, really excited about this right now. We have on the line Cole, otherwise known as the Oscar expert, on the ground live at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival currently right now. Cole, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good evening, everybody. And... Good to good to be coming at you with some live experience at the festival. I love that you said good evening because it's definitely the morning over here right now. <laughs> well, it's always the evening. I feel you on that. Absolutely. Uh, so this is really cool because of a couple of different reasons. One is uh, we've never had you actually on our show before. Uh, we hope to have you on in the future in a you know different capacity. But this is even more exciting because. You're currently at the festival right now. This is your first time there. No one here on our team has ever been there before. So, you know, I'm from the Northeast. Tell me, what is it like traveling over to the south of France uh, during this time of year? And what has the experience just been like getting situated, learning where everything is and, you know, just the size of it all? Well, the travel was a little I, I, I was a little nervous because of the COVID restrictions. Like my initial flight was transferring and I had to rebook it because I learned that that wasn't allowed at the time. So I was like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to, like, get in? And um, but I'm like very glad that I'm actually here and I've arrived. And yeah, I mean, the festival has been like it's it's gone pretty smoothly with the exception of the the ticketing fiasco. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. People seem to be uh, complaining about that on a daily basis. Yeah, like the first, um, the second day, like the first morning, I was like, oh my God, I have to reserve tickets right now. Like I need to be able to see all the things. I had no idea how how easy it was going to be for like me to get all the films. Um, So I was up for like, we all have to wake up at 7 a.m. every morning to do this. I'd, I was up for like an hour and a half waiting to load any web page that could help me reserve a ticket. But the next day, it was like totally smooth. And every morning since I've just been able to log in, like book 
everything that I want. And then that, you know, it's been, it's been smooth sailing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, tell me what's it been like with the COVID protocols. I hear they're having you guys uh, do some spitting every single day. I have not had to spit once. Really? Um, and I have not voluntarily spit. Um, yeah. It, I don't know what, when they test you. I mean, I, I show them my vaccination card and they just kind of accept it. I don't know if it's like, you know, for one of the, like a very special event or something that you'd have to spit in a cup, but I didn't have to do that at all. So after years of following the film festival from afar, actually being there in person, being on the grand steps, seeing the paparazzi, what, what is it like taking all of that in? And like, do you have to like pinch yourself and say, oh my God, I'm at Cannes? Yeah. I mean, I remember like talking to my friends about festivals and stuff and like, it wasn't even a question like, oh, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go there. But so like, you know, to have the invitation and like have the route to, you know, be here is like really amazing. And it's crazy. Like, I love seeing all these movies before they even have trailers and, uh, you know, not knowing what anyone else is going to think. Like when Flag Day ended, I was like, I think the audience kind of liked that. And, and then that completely turned around, at least on Twitter or, you know, some jeers in the audience. Um, so it, it just experiencing people's reactions live has been pretty crazy. Hard to find people to talk to because everybody's in French, like speaks French here. Uh, there's a ton of like security and a lot of tourists around. And I mean, the weather is like great. I haven't, I haven't, I've not even been to the beach yet, but well, based on the screening schedule that I see here, it seems like everyone's days are pretty packed with uh, some pretty high profile, big premieres here. Can you take us in chronological order of the films that you've seen so far? And also too, being that, you know, you are the Oscar expert, we are an awards podcast. I would love to hear your take on if you feel like you've seen any Oscar contenders of any kind. So the, some of the big premieres, let's see. Um, oh, Annette was, you know, that was kind of a nutty premiere because nobody knew what to really think of that movie. And it was just so insane. I've heard it's kind of like uh, like Luca Guanino's like Suspiria, where it's divisive, but at the same time, like artsy as hell and cool and goes in unexpected directions, you know, so it's going to like definitely rub people the wrong way. But there are going to be other people who dig it. Am I am I getting that right? I, th I think so. I actually Suspiria, I, I did not really like uh, that one, but I did like Annette. I think Suspiria was a little more like slow paced. Annette's got, I think, more energy. So, yeah, I, I heard, though, that Adam Driver's performance in Annette is pretty damn good uh, and that he really carries the movie. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, Adam Driver was pretty spectacular. I mean, he, he was just completely on like whatever Leos Carax was on, which which worked really well. He just makes like very bold choices throughout. And it's it's pretty amazing what he's doing. Well, that's really exciting. Uh, so that was the opening night film. Uh, what came after that? What came after that? I have like an order of what's my favorite right in front of me. So I'm trying to remember when. Oh, well, I mean, like if you want to just list maybe your your favorites, then we can start off with that. I mean, I think that's usually sometimes the best way to go, too. Yeah, I think. Well, I remember Cal was like pretty early on in the premieres and that had some walkouts. That was definitely understandably a divisive movie. You know, some people didn't really take away like the same things from it um, as other people, I think. And then another factor is just like some people might have just not been able to be fully engaged in the movie because they wanted some, a little bit more narrative in there. But the movie kind of refuses to give you that because it just 
has to be about the cows. So it's like Gunda, would you say? I haven't seen Gunda, but from what I've heard, it sounds pretty similar. Um, it's just the the um, style of filmmaking, I think, is probably a little different because cow is really about like putting the camera down to the eyeline of these creatures and just like trying to get you to experience the world a little bit like they do. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting. I'm trying to think of like notable premieres or like, you know, things that produce like strong reactions or something. We know Flag Day kind of had strong reactions. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I was talking to you about that yesterday. And uh, I, I, I think like we kind of like came to the same conclusion that it's a more mainstream film that probably should have premiered at somewhere like TIFF instead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know where. People are, are standing on it because critics were actually not too negative about it. I did see that the trades were more uh, forgiving, but then like the reactions from the screenings themselves were brutal. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think it's it seems to be the same reason that people didn't like Hillbilly Elegy. They thought it was like overacted, overdone, too melodramatic. And, you know, maybe the uh, themes or didn't really like come together in in much at all mm-hmm. um uh, i could also mention the screening of benedetta as being an exciting premiere just because of the moments where like the audience was laughing and there was like one moment i don't want to spoil it oh don't worry film twitter has already done a great job of oh, that they've already done it. well like if you if you've spoiled the the prop in the movie i know that that got like an applause about a certain joke they made about it and it was really that was really fun for the record if you are at a film festival and you're spoiling scenes from a movie months before anyone else gets to see it shame on you just saying i mean a lot of these major publication reviews like they they spend so much time summarizing the plot and it's like it's helpful for me if i've seen the movie but i just don't know i would rather know how someone feels about it rather than like have them reiterate the first half of the movie for me. But uh, Benedetta, uh, is it as campy as one might hope? Is it like darkly serious? Like what kind of a tone does it take? It's hard to describe. And it's weirdly kind of a combination of both. Like, I don't think it's obviously campy, like, like showgirls or something, or from what I've seen of that. And sometimes it does kind of want you to be enveloped in, in it as a drama. But it does have a little bit of like camp to it, like in the way that you enjoy it. Um, it's kind of hard to describe the tone, but I think it I think it nailed like right in between there. Uh, a film that I really, really liked from this uh, filmmaker here, Thelma, uh, Joshim uh, Trier. He's got one of the most acclaimed films of the festival so far, The Worst Person in the World. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Because from what I've seen, that's one of your favorites so far. It is it is my favorite th- thus far. Um, nice. That is just i think like especially um younger people are really gonna enjoy it i think it's like a total crowd pleaser it was like the only movie that was just that i wanted more of after like the full runtime and it just has like a a, such an energy to it and i found it like a really kind of spiritual movie and it captures like something about the way that i guess millennials or maybe the upcoming Gen Z, like the way that they navigate their lives, you know, where we're not in a world where it's like, you know, you just default to like having kids and getting married anymore. We also had a uh, documentary premieres of uh, the Velvet Underground and Val uh, about the life and career of Val Kilmer. Did you happen to catch either one of those? I didn't see either of those. Okay, no, no problem. What about um, 
Uh, we also had uh, Where is Anne Frank, the new Ari Fullman animated film. Did you happen to see that? Yeah, I did. I was surprised by that one because um, it was like I, I kind of expected this very serious, dreary, like adult drama. And it obviously has like adult themes, but it's kind of like just the way that it was written was like almost educational. It, it was ju it just wanted to tell you things very plainly and like not even the delivery of the actors, in my opinion, was like exciting. Um, it's it's like it, it, it could be a good educational tool, but it, I, it was just weird how much it felt like that at times. And if it wants to, like, give you a message or if it wants you to know certain facts, it just like tells you them. So that wasn't really what I was expecting. So I was pretty mixed on that. But it seems like the reviews are OK for it. But I'm not sure it's like the. I don't know if it's like the uh, the juggernaut kind of movie that we thought it was going to be. Maybe it can get an animated feature nomination. I'm not sure. Um, also, worst person in the world. I mean, I'm just hoping that that can get like the international feature submission. I feel like if it was submitted, it's it's got to be time for like Yoshim Trier to get like a nomination. And this is like probably his best film, if not up there. Um, and I would love to see, I want to champion that movie for a screenplay nomination too, because I thought the writing was really spectacular. Speaking of uh, screenplay uh, at the Oscars, uh, Tom McCarthy returned uh, with Stillwater. Uh, did you happen to see that one? I didn't catch Stillwater just because just it's coming out on like July 30th. Yeah, true. I see all the other ones that I can't see. What about, um, what was another one that popped out? Uh, Mothering Sunday with uh, Odessa Young and Josh O'Connor. Yeah, I think there were some mixed reactions. I thought it was like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like the, the uh, sort of like British period stuff. And it just kind of had like that British tone. It was very, very serious. And there was like a lot of, uh, I don't know, it, to me, it was like, is this just sad so that it can be like a sad movie? Mm -hmm. And I didn't find that much like depth in it. Colin Firth was good. Oh, he has more screen time than Olivia Coleman. Nice. You know, the, all the acting is good. Odessa Young's very good, too. And the cinematography is nice. Uh, and then another one here uh, that was one of the most buzzed about features of the festival was Koganada's follow up to Columbus after Yang. Did you happen to see that? Yeah, I really liked after Yang. It's it's definitely one of the ones where I want to see it again because it just it has a lot of different pieces in it that I was picking up on. But. I'm not quite sure how to like assemble them right now, but it, it has the characteristics to make me think that I will get something more out of second viewing. But the performances are really good as great cinematography. The production design is like, I mean, the, the set decorations really, really good in that one. And it's very well written. I'm not sure. I, some people were kind of asking me if they can pull off like an ex machina screenplay nomination. And my take was sort of that, I think that movie has like that thriller element that made it register with people. And although after Yang is, it's not like a totally isolating art house thing. It's a little bit like, you know, slower paced. So I don't know if that's like a quite an Oscar movie, but I wouldn't put it completely out of the conversation for maybe a screenplay nomination. It's a thinking man sci-fi film. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, those are the ones that are, um, on my list here to ask you about, uh, is there anything I did not mention that you also happen to have seen that you wanted to uh, mention for good or for bad? Um, I liked La Fracture a lot. There's a little bit of a uh, hum buzz for that one. I think I'm not sure if it's going to win that, but that was like uncut gems level chaotic. Oh, wow. It was also 
goofiest film I've seen, except for like the last 30 minutes when it's like barely funny at all. But when it wanted to be funny, it was hilarious. Um, and it's very like head on with the uh, social commentary. And some people aren't quite taking to that, but I really like that movie. Nice. That's awesome. Does anybody else have any questions for Cole? Uh, I have just one quick question I want to ask. Have you um, experienced any of the infamous can booze yet with any movie you've seen? No. Oh, the other thing is that like those um, those premiere screenings that have like the, you know, everyone in a suit and tie and stuff. Those take place in like this one building that I've only had a screening in once. And I think that the, you know, those are the ones that get like those long standing ovations and they're not really easy for me to like get into on a, a request. And I also don't have a suit, so I wouldn't be dressed for it. But I have not witnessed any booze. There were like, you know, a little bit of laughing at the end of the uh, Sean Penn movie. But during it, people were pretty silent. Um, so, no, I haven't I haven't really witnessed the much of the snobby. Booing crowd that. I've kind of heard Can was known for. Maybe that's like a bad sign when your crowd is absolutely silent during your movie. Maybe <laughs> they're just not reacting <laughs> at all. Uh, but I, I've heard that, too. I've heard that uh, the big standing ovations and so on and so forth, like all those big reactions happen at that one large theater, the one with the steps. I can't remember the name of it right now. But yeah. is it like it's not like Sundance, right, where all the theaters are spread out. There's like only like one theater to go to. Right. Um, there are a couple different venues and they're basically in the same place, but there, there have been, there were two screenings that I went to that are, I used to take like a bus or an Uber to okay. that are like two miles away. And those are just like kind of extra screenings. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you see a movie on opening night, you're not going to have to go out there. And I went out there today only to find out that they did not have English subtitles. And then me and like, 10 other people that don't speak French had to, had to just leave. That's that's bizarre. I don't know why that's that's annoying. <laughs> yeah, I guess we were supposed to know that for some reason. Yeah. Hey, well, you know what? You live and you learn. Uh, how is it from like a stress standpoint? Because I know, you know, like for me, I'm a madman when it comes to festivals. <laughs> I'm running from place to place all the time. I don't ever take like a break or a breather. I don't know if you're the same way, but I've heard that this festival is structured in a way where there's the premiere screening and then there is a second screening the next morning and then that's it. It doesn't play again. So is there like this pressure on you that if you don't make it to see the screening, like, oh, my God, I have to find a way to get to this. Does that like, you know, increase like the stress levels? Well, actually, there's there's been like four screenings of every movie at least. Oh, wow. Yeah. And sometimes there are like two at the same time or or even three if it's like the the grand premiere screening and then like one or two others. Uh, I haven't had any trouble getting all of the movies I wanted. Like, I just reserved the French Dispatch with, like, no problem. I got a hero. I've got Red Rocket reserved. And if you can't get one, I mean, yeah, there's there's been a few extra screenings. So I actually haven't had a problem with it. Um, as far as the stress levels, I mean, I'm trying to prioritize, like, seeing the movies I want. And making videos in between is and, like, trying to write down my thoughts and everything is it's a lot to fit in. But... Just, I mean, me being on like kind of my own schedule and not having any uh, deadlines or anything like that definitely makes it less stressful. I mean, you know, I've taken a couple breaks where I just, you know, go on TikTok for like 20, 30 minutes, but <laughs> I've been pretty, you know, busy so far. How many films are you say you're averaging a day? 
Uh, the least I've seen in a day, aside from like the you know the opening night, has been two, and then I've seen up to four on other days. So it's probably like an average of three. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to average four a day, you could do it. But you know, you got to give your, you got to give yourself like some breaks. You know. Yeah, totally. Or I'll just wait a day and and see if like people like the movie, and then maybe I'll try to see it later. Have you gone to any parties or any nice uh, French restaurants of any kind that you would recommend? I've barely been social. <laughs> to like two people. Um, cause I mean, cause everyone speaks French and also I'm, I'm, I'm not the best at like seeking out those situations. I haven't been to any parties and I've been trying to eat cheap. So I'm eating like the falafel, like wraps and, and the, uh, I found a place that has a Chana masala wrap on naan, and I'm going to get that every day that until I leave. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, does anyone else have any other questions for Cole before he goes? I was just going to ask whether he's picked up any French. <laughs> I have not picked up on any French. <laughs> I, I feel really weird trying to speak to people in French because I know that I'm just doing a terrible job. So I just speak to them in English because I'm like, I think they know what like thank you means. So I'm, I don't need to like try to do the whole merci thing. Fair enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or just asking where the bathroom is. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, the usual stuff. My own. So I don't have to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that you're having a good time? Oh, yeah. I'm having a great time. That's awesome. I'm like really. There's a lot of like movies coming out in the next three days that are like all on my most anticipated list, like Titan and a hero and all that. So I'm really excited for those. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that the next couple of days, uh, the next five days are going to be really, really special and probably even more packed than what we've gotten so far. Cole, I really, really want to thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I hope that you have a good rest of the day. What, what are you watching uh, later on? Uh, I've got Bergman Island tonight, and I've got uh, Trey Piani for Three Floors booked for uh, right now. Nice, nice. Bergman Island is one that I'm very, very interested in. I can't wait to see what that's like. Yeah, I'm very curious. All righty. Thank you very, very much, and uh, you have a good rest of your time again. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, everybody else. All right, take care. Bye. All right, so we've heard from Cole. Now I want to hear from all of you. What has been your third uh, third party secondhand reactions so far to what you've heard coming out of this year's festival. Uh, it doesn't sound like other than say something like Sean Penn's flag day, which already had a big target on its back to begin with because of the star power and his last film, uh, the last face uh, really, really bombing at uh, the last time he was at can uh, that's the only one that's been like a real stinker. From what I can tell, otherwise everything seems to be getting some pretty great reactions. Yeah, it definitely seems like most of the word has been pretty positive, which I'm usually a little skeptical at at first because it's like if everything is good at a festival, I, I don't know how much I can really trust that. But I mean, it seems like overall people are enjoying the movies to, from varying degrees, and I don't think. Like everything is necessarily enticing me, but there are a couple titles that I am very intrigued by given their reaction. More than ever, I am intrigued to see Annette. Yeah. I was already intrigued before the screening, but post screening, I was like, oh my God, if people are going to be this split on it, sign me up. <laughs> I, I just, I like movies that do that to people. Uh, and so I, I also just like wild, batshit, creative, bold filmmaking. And this just sounds like it has all of that in spades, along with um, Paul Verhoeven's uh, Benedetta, which 
I, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I've been able to avoid most of the spoilers on that movie. I, I genuinely can't stand that for that and for Annette, there were a lot of uh, spoilers, even written in tweets or reviews, like being just, just like not, not even any warning. You know, it's like I don't understand. I do not understand that mentality. I get that people are excited though, uh, but still, like those are two that um, out of the festival so far uh, have me chomping at the bits to catch them just so that I can uh, formulate my own opinion on them. It's so inconsiderate when people do this and when they put out spoilers in their reviews or they tweet it. Like, you know, some of us applied to Cannes and, and didn't get in, you know, don't rub it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I've been finding uh, so interesting is the immediacy of the reactions. Uh, you know, I'm almost setting my calendar to the day. OK, we'll get a reaction here. And then, oh, three hours later, it'll be for this film. And uh, it's not exactly like you're being there, but you're really getting fresh reactions from folks. And I've been finding that interesting as long as they don't have spoilers. Well, the uh, screening schedule, you can download the PDF for it on Cannes website. So I know just from that, like I've been paying attention all throughout the day as to when stuff would be, you know, dropping so that this way we can catch the initial reactions. Because quite frankly, you know, one thing I've definitely got my eye on with this festival, and I've said this before, is I want to know which uh, films are going to be best international uh, feature contenders uh, and are going to get selected by their countries for end of year. You know, that's definitely something that's of interest to me. Like, um, uh, like the worst person in the world, for example, that one has gotten a tremendous response so far. And I think that uh, I hope I'm saying this right. Uh, Yoshim uh, Trier, um, he seems like someone that could definitely be, you know, in that spot this year. And as somebody who has sort of had a very consistent kind of solid career, but right. hasn't had that real breakout moment yet. And, you know, I'm actually a fan of his, too. He's got a lot of really interesting movies. And I am kind of waiting for that moment when he does get a little bit more mainstream appeal and as you said, Matt, Cannes is a really great place for finding some of those international feature contenders, and this could possibly be one for him. Yeah, he's, he's demonstrated he's got the stuff. It's just going to be the right project, and hopefully this is it. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time 
to tell theirs. So there's another film also that I don't think was on our radar as much, but it has gotten uh, some of the best reviews of the festival so far. Scott Feinberg thinks that it is a definite international feature contender and also a contender for the Palm d'Or, compartment number six. So if you haven't been following the story of that one, uh, this is by uh, director Juho uh, Kuzmenin, uh, a Finnish writer-director. Um, and this is something that I've heard from all the responses so far is getting people very excited. So another film, too, that also uh, had a lot of buzz pre-festival and coming out, I think, has gotten some of the most ecstatic reactions and like an across the board 100%. I don't know anyone that ha- that hated this movie and everyone seemed to be so enthusiastic was uh Koganada's uh, follow-up to Columbus after Yang. We heard from Cole early on that one. Um this is not something that, you know, uh, once again, from an awards standpoint, not really seeing that happening, but if it's anything like Columbus at all and everything seems to suggest that it's a step up from that, I mean, god, we're in for something really special here, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, taking that directorial style from something like Columbus and then infusing it with a science fiction premise, it's like, give it to me right now, please. Yes. And it's got Colin Farrell. Come on. Like, (laughs) I I need to see it right now. (laughs) In the mode of the lobster, from what I hear, that kind of performance. And I I loved him in that. And I hope he's uh, every bit as good in this. Yeah, definitely. Um, another one that also uh, I know that a lot of us were very curious about was uh, Ari Fulman's Where is Anne Frank? A lot of us had our eyes on that as a possible animated feature contender. Uh, we heard Cole's reaction to it earlier. I know some of us also paid attention to some of the reviews that dropped for it. Uh, what are you guys making of that one so far, just in terms of whether or not if that could be an animated feature contender towards end of year, let's say? Well, I mean, anything that is like slightly prestigious animation, I think, should be considered. And I mean, it does seem like the movie is mostly good. I I don't think that there's a lot of people who think that it's outright bad. And obviously, Ari Fulman has been in the Oscar game before. It's been a while since Waltz with Bashir, but that does make him somewhat of a known entity. And just given how like fascinating the animated feature race is shaping up to be, I just find it to be another really interesting inclusion that isn't just yet another like big budget studio glossy animated feature i I think that category is becoming really fascinating this year it looks absolutely beautiful the animation oh yeah Yeah. i really think it has a, a shot at the oscar this year uh, I did see a few reactions online that compared it to uh, something like an after-school special because of the nature of the writing. But I have to agree with B that Bianca that the uh, animation looks beautiful in it. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. And um, the other big high-profile film, mostly because of just the star power that was connected to it at the festival, was. Uh, Stillwater from Tom McCarthy. Cole hasn't seen it yet, but I mean, other than The Cobbler, Tom McCarthy has not missed yet uh, with critics. And Stillwater didn't get, uh, I I would say it didn't get like a overwhelmingly positive response, but it got a solid response from people. I think that it's, uh, from what I can tell and from what I've heard, uh, a bit of a, I wouldn't say like departure for Tom McCarthy, but it's definitely his longest film to date at almost two and a half hours long. And it's also a bit of a thriller at times, but it does seem to have that very character focused storytelling that he's been known for in his other films. Uh, what do you guys make of that? Because that's coming out in a few days here. 
Yeah, I think the reaction it got to me was what I expected, honestly, which was, yeah, it, it, it's all right. Like, that seemed to be the general sentiment. Like, it was just okay. And it was decent for what it was, but probably isn't going to have a lot of staying power. But, I mean, I am somewhat interested, but I'm not, like, clamoring to see it, if I'm honest. I hear that. Mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm the same. I I have a feeling, like, it may be one of those films that really sort of connects more with audiences rather than critics. But I'm not... But then it really, I mean, are they going to sit down and watch it for two, two and a half hours? So it'd be interesting to see what the sort of initial audience responses will be. Yeah. And Damon looks really good in it. Yeah. It's a shame that it's coming out in July. I mean, it had to come out a little bit later. We might be talking about him. Uh, but uh, I, I, it, I always associate the word solid with Tom McCarthy. And I think this one looks the same. So a film that is actually going to be premiering uh, in a few days time in the second half of the festival is Nitram. Uh, this is the new film from Justin Kurzel, who previously gave us Macbeth and also uh, the true history of the Kelly gang. Um, another film uh, that was a higher budgeted one that we won't talk about on here, but he's a very, very interesting filmmaker to say the least and someone that uh, I think that, Uh, We should always keep our eye on. So this is a trailer for his film uh, that is going to be uh, premiering at Cannes on the 16th. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. When he was a little boy, we used to play a game at the fabric shop in town. He'd go off and hide in all the big, tall rolls of fabric. And then I'd try and find him. He loved it. I loved it. But then this one day, I went to find him, and he wasn't there. He lived everywhere. Not in the silks, not in the cottons. Ran into all the shops, strangers were stopping to help me. Tears streaming down my face. What did you do? I gave up and went back to the car. And there he was. Lying on the floor of the back seat, looking up at me, laughing. Laughing at my pain. Laughing like it was the funniest thing in the world. Mm, This looks very intriguing to me it it really kind of returns more to like the snowtown murders tone that uh i think a lot of us who were first introduced to kurtzler are kind of more familiar with him i love the decision to not show uh caleb landry jones's face in this trailer like they're deliberately hiding it from us throughout oh and just getting like serious we need to talk about kevin vibes from this yeah in terms of tone yeah i would say so i I, you know i was very confused initially at first as to what this movie was about but then i actually did google um what this you know what the title of the movie was and there were people on social media who were also telling me and it is based on a very very harrowing uh mass shooting uh which took place uh 
in uh, Tasmania uh, in Australia, and it's something that I didn't really get so much from the trailer, but I think that that like kind of adds once again, like Josh said, to the level of intrigue. Yeah, it, it it's a smart move, I think, because I'm not sure if selling a massacre would be you know audience friendly, but if selling it as a domestic uh, drama, family drama about mental illness, that I think might have more appeal, and then people will go and see what it's really about. Yeah. And also, too, uh, we have some heavy hitters here with Judy Davis, Essie Davis, who I I think she's one of the most underrated uh, actresses working today. Uh, So there's definitely a lot of elements here that could contribute to creating what might be a very overwhelmingly powerful dramatic experience. Yeah. And you could definitely get the sense that they're selling that tone and I do think that not maybe putting the, a massacre on Front Street with the marketing. I, I understand that. And I think for what this is, which is essentially a teaser, it does that job well, you know, without really telling you exactly what the plot of this movie is, but really selling you on the atmosphere of it, which, as I said, sort of really does remind me of the Snowtown murders. And I like that movie quite a, uh, a good deal. So I'm very in- interested in what this one's going to be. So I, I, I'm guessing just based on the appearance of the real life person and uh, the way uh, Caleb Landry Jones looks in this trailer that he's playing the shooter, I guess. I would assume the way they talk about him sort of does seem like there's uh, something wrong there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what kind of a performance he delivers. Uh, once again, I think he is also one of the most underrated uh, actors working today. He has had supporting roles in Get Out, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, he was fantastic in The Outpost. I don't know if uh, how many of you guys saw that. And I, I do think that he is on the cusp of just this one real showcase kind of a role where he's not so much a part of an ensemble and he will break out in a pretty big big way i think this could be it for him maybe yeah he's a really solid like really dependable actor that has been in so many good projects but yeah it's like the ceiling that he keeps hitting in terms of like breakout so maybe this will be it for him yep and just to uh you know kind of preview what's happening over the next week or so on the 11th today uh we have bergman island and evolution which is the follow-up film from uh cornell mondrusco uh, who previously did pieces of a woman uh last year tomorrow we have petrov's flu the french dispatch uh of course the french dispatch Lots of anticipation for that one. We've been waiting for that movie for about a year and a half now. <laughs> uh, on the 13th, that's going to be a stacked day. We have Ashgar Farhardi's A Hero, uh, Titane, which I I still hope I'm pronouncing correctly. I don't know if it's Titane or... We'll if, find out then. We will find out, exactly. And Blue Bio, which I have heard really, really, really good advanced buzz on. Yeah. And, and very much looking forward to hearing more about. Uh, then on the 14th, We have Red Rocket, the new film from Sean Baker. Uh, Paris 13th District, a new film from Jacques Ayudard. The 15th, Memoria, uh, starring Tilda Swinton. And then on the 16th, uh, we will have Nitram, which we just talked about here, and Vortex, the new film from Gaspar No. Oh, boy. (laughs) Hang on. Very exciting. Yeah, with a name like that. And, and you know what? I actually feel bad. I did not get a chance to ask Cole about the souvenir part two, uh, which I forgot to mention to him. And uh, that's another film that premiered uh, at Cannes uh, just recently. And has anyone here seen uh, the souvenir? I guess we're now calling it part one. Uh, yes, yes, I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah. 
I wasn't the biggest fan of that movie just in terms of pacing, but I can't deny that Joanna Hogg is a very talented filmmaker. And from every person who has seen uh, the second part of this, I've heard that this is better than the first one. So the first one is one of those films where I think it gets better every time you watch it because you know what to expect and then you can sort of appreciate it a lot more. So at first I wasn't initially thrilled by it. I found it a bit too slow, like you yeah. say, with pacing. So um, if the it's it's good to see to hear the buzz that the second one is is as you know better. So mm-hmm. uh, I hope it's um, it's not one of those films that I have to watch several times to appreciate. <laughs> I immediately appreciate it once I watch it the first time round. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember liking The Souvenir. I didn't love it, but I did enjoy it. And I know that there were complaints about the pacing, which I can understand. But I really did like the sort of character study that they were going for in that first movie. And if the second one is better, then that's just good. That's even better news for me, especially because I heard that the second one has more of Richard Iotti in it. And he is so good in the first movie. He's only got like a scene, but he makes such an impression. And if there's more of him in the second one, I'm even happier to hear that news. I gotta say, this is one of those films that I'm reading the critical reviews of it. And I, I really didn't like it. I didn't like the characters. I thought the pacing was bad. And I came out and said, Ooh, one and done. But I'm kind of intrigued by the second part. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it another shot. Uh, I may watch the first one again, uh, God help me, but I'll, 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 I'll get to it because I really do want to see what people are, you know, have really appreciated about it because uh, it, it slipped by me the first time. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm in a similar way, Tom. Uh, I 100% agree with you. I'm still gonna catch the second one as well. I might even revisit the first one, uh, like Bianca said, to see if I appreciate it more on a second viewing. And uh, we don't have a release date for that just yet, but it is being distributed by A24, same as the last one. So, fingers crossed on that one. We'll see. Uh, And now we'll head over to the polls uh, for this week's poll and tying it to the Cannes Film Festival this week. We're asking everyone, which is your favorite Palme d'Or winner of all time? (laughs) Now, many, many decades of films here. We asked every we we told everyone they can choose up to seven titles this way. They didn't feel like they had to, you know, kill their darlings and uh, choose among so many great films. Uh, And there are so many great films. Some of the greatest movies of all time have won the Palm. And we don't know, obviously, what's going to win this year quite yet because we still have to see all these other movies that I mentioned before have not yet premiered. Uh, But looking at this list here, Josh, you don't have to mention one, but if you want to mention a few, what are some Palme d'Or winners that uh, really stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, you know, some very big titles here that I'm sure a lot of people will mention. But if I'm going to look at ones that maybe aren't immediate choices, um, like Barton Fink to me, I love that movie. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan anyway. And I think that is definitely one of their strongest efforts. Also really love the conversation that uh, it's. And I remember like Coppola was just had, had embarrassment of riches that year. It was like, it's another like great movie. And obviously people remember Godfather part two, but conversation is really, really great as well. And the the other one I'd mentioned is the third man. Another like such a great noir of the time and so, so well done. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good movies here for sure. Bianca. 
Oh my God, Matt, why do you do this to me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, well, first off, I want to mention All That Jazz. I mean, that's such a great movie. And I really think that's probably like one of the best movies uh, like of of that year. Um, But I I do want to also kind of mention If as well. Again, like such a great movie. And I, I don't feel like it really gets appreciated all that much and it's very like it very hits home to me obviously you know being British and the class system here but in terms of talking about class I mean Parasite again you know is 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 just such a great movie and and I want to mention two other movies um, Sex, Lies and Videotape like yeah it's not it doesn't really hold up all that well, but when you think about what it did for like nineties, like independent cinema, like um, it was kind of a, like, you know, uh, had such a such an influence on that scene. And of course, um, I, I want to show some love for Shoplifters. It yeah. Just a, yeah. it's such a great film, and I feel like that doesn't get talked about as much as it should do. That that movie is is just wonderful and. Uh, um, needs to be appreciated a lot more. Tom O'Brien? I'm totally with Bianca on Shoplifters, and I'm totally with Josh on Barton Fink. I, I was struck by how Can just killed it in the 70s, the, you know, with Taxi Driver, MASH, Apocalypse Now, all that jazz, and the conversation. And, uh, you know, and they got some great classics of international cinema. Uh, La Dolce Vita still holds up. Uh, uh, Bunuel's Viridiana, uh, and the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and uh, Amour. Uh, it's just it's a it's a just a collection of classics. When you look at that list, I think uh, listeners are going to be hard pressed to come up with just seven. Yeah, no, it's definitely a really really tough one to put together here. Um, I'll mention some that just haven't been brought up just yet for myself. Um, I'm a big big fan of the Tree of Life. That's a movie that's grown on me uh, over the years. It was in my top ten the year it came out, but I, I actually look at it now as one of the great pieces of uh, art that's ever been ever been made. Uh, Paris, Texas, is a movie that I feel like doesn't get brought up that much, and I feel like that that is a really really terrific movie uh i'm also a very big fan of jane campion's the piano i'm very excited to see what she has in store for us later this year with the power of the dog um and you know i also gotta give a shout out to four months three weeks and two days uh that is a movie that had a really really strong uh impact on me when i saw it and uh I just recently rewatched it again on Criterion Collection, and it just blew me away uh, once again. Uh, but there are just so many here. I mean, I could go on and on and on from, you know, Taste of Cherry to La Dolce Vita, um, you know, Cage Musha, Jesus Christ. It's just an abundance of riches here. Um, and it, like you said, Tom, it's hard to just pick seven altogether. But, you know, it's like I'll, I, I, I want to pick, like, movies that – God, if I was being like completely honest with myself, like some of my favorite movies of all time would probably be the ones that are like the, you know, popular ones of this list. You know, the Pulp Fictions, the Taxi Drivers, Apocalypse Now is my second favorite film of all time, you know, so 
my my set my seven would probably be very generic yeah i mean parasite is probably going to win this poll <laughs> uh but head on over to the polls page nextbestpicture.com cast a vote there let us know what is your favorite palm d'Or winner of all time and then for last week's poll first time that we did this this year we asked everyone at the halfway point of 2021 which film do you think will be the next best picture oscar winner we have not revealed our official Oscar predictions as of yet. I believe that we are going to post those uh, next month in August before the film festivals kick off in September uh, or end of August, rather. So, Josh, I know that you've been thinking about it a little bit over the past couple of days since, you know, we're getting up to that point now. What for you uh, would you put in the number one slot as of today as your way in advanced pick for uh, Best Picture today. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a little bit, but I have to admit, not as much as I probably should because I'm st- <laughs> I think I'm still trying to get the last season like <laughs> fully out of my system at this point. <laughs> so I haven't really committed to it yet. Um, you know, and this is just a placeholder. It's obviously subject to change, but I think just for right now, I'm going to actually go with the movies that I was actually doing like my very early pick last year and i'm just gonna say west side story again i don't think it's really going to happen but i don't have that much confidence in really any pick right now so i'm just gonna go with that tom o'brien i'm i'm with josh in that i haven't nothing has gelled quite and so i'm also picking a placeholder but for me right now i'd say soggy bottom bianca um oh god this is really hard um my heart is saying last night in soho oh god that would be incredible (laughs) (laughs) i would love that um but i i don't know i feel like it's going to be something a bit more um yeah i i have a feeling that maybe this might be Paul Thomas Anderson's moment, so maybe Soggy Bottom. We've got to see it first if that's even the title of the movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, let's see what the MVP film community had to say here. Okay, um, at number 10, to start us off here, Hanging On By a Thread, In the Heights. Mm, I think the dreams for that one might have been dashed already, but we'll see. Number nine, The Power of the Dog. Highly anticipated for sure. Yeah. Surprised it's that low, but also at the same time, not so surprised. Number eight, Don't Look Up, the new Adam McKay. Now, that is one that I'll be honest with you all, with that amount of star power behind it, I would be putting that one high towards the list right now, especially considering how well the Academy has responded to his last two futures. Yeah, I mean, we get threatened with an Adam McKay movie every couple of years, so yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. Number seven, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Yep. High profile, you know, logical will be in the top ten. Number six, I don't know about the chances of this one for Best Picture, but I could see it competing elsewhere, but the MVP film community has a number six, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those that I feel like if people respond to the performances so uh, passionately that it could maybe lift it up into a Best Picture race. Number five, uh, this is currently my nomination leader at the moment, Guillermo del Toro's follow-up to The Shape of Water, Nightmare Alley. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I expect it'll get a number of above-the-line nominations. Number four, I guess we'll find out pretty soon. The French Dispatch. Well, can't wait to hear. Can't 
wait to hear. Nah. Okay, what's the next one, Matt? <laughs> Number three is Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised he didn't no, win the poll, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Josh, if you thought Dune was going to win the poll, number two will make you laugh. Number two is The House of Gucci. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to uh, necessarily believe that's going to happen, but I, I, I get it. Hey, you know what? A Ridley Scott film has won Best Picture before, right? Yeah, 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, and number one, Paul Thomas Anderson's Saggy Bottom. Saggy Bottom. Saggy, soggy, it's all the same. Yeah. We're looking forward to it regardless. I think saggy sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, listen, don't read into this too much, people. This is all voted on by the community. Anyone could have voted for this, and this is the first time that we are taking the temperature check right now. But, hey, yeah. it's always fun to look back on this as we get closer, and then we can see how wrong everybody was. Yeah. And we all are wrong. Like, yes. let's just be upfront. We are all probably going to be wrong about this. So, yes. yeah. Totally. But if I got to give my own answer to this question as to what I have currently in my number one spot as of today, I have Tick Tick Boom in number one. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I I just don't see that happening. I, I really don't. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is having a moment right now in the Hollywood system with all the projects that he has going on. And... I feel like this is the year of the quote unquote, the musical. I think Netflix is coming, you know, ever so close all the time with all of their contenders right now. I think that there is a potential leading actor uh, nomination there for Andrew Garfield. There's a lot of elements on paper here that make sense to me. Yeah. The only issue that I'm having is that normally when musicals do break into the Oscar race, they are based on properties that are extremely well-known. And I just don't feel like there is an awareness of Tick, Tick, Boom outside of people who are already inundated with theater stuff. And as we just saw within the Heights, you could even be very popular on stage, but that might not translate to you finding a general audience. And I I just don't know what the awareness of that property is if it's going to be that successful. And that's where the Netflix factor of it all comes into play, because I think to that argument, Josh, it may not matter uh, considering Netflix's reach on, you know, on, on their platform. So you don't have to factor in the things like box office. But I do agree that there needs to be uh, a staying power with it, maybe not measurable by box office, but measurable by how well it does with maybe, say, end of year top 10 lists or how it does with some of the other precursors, you know? So yeah, we'll have to yeah. gauge that, I think, for this. Yeah, I think that Netflix it's Netflix is going to be key in how they sell this because the original material is very inside baseball in the theater world, and which may not seem to be entirely relatable to the average moviegoer. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they can sell it as something else, and if there are elements in the film that can help that much farther than... I suspect it might have gone otherwise. Once again, thank you all very much for your votes here on the MVP polls. Speaking of Lin-Manuel Miranda, he is writing the music for a new upcoming Disney animated film called Encanto, which is going to be coming out on November 24th. Uh, we did get a teaser trailer for this one this week. Let's take a look at it and let's give some thoughts. Mirabel, delivery. I gave you the special since you're the only Madrigal kid with no gift. 
I call it the not special special since uh you have no gift. Uh thanks. Colombia. Or no gift, I am just as special as the rest of my family. Who wants more pink? All right, guys, where do I drop the wagon? Maybe your gift is being in denial. <sighs> Beautiful animation. Pretty cute. Yeah, and colorful. Wow. Yeah, right? It really, really popped to me. And not just that, too, but I'm also really enjoying seeing um, a lot of the reactions from people um, online who... Uh, quite frankly, have not seen themselves in movies such as this before. And, you know, when you have a story that's set in the mountains of Colombia, uh, it's definitely telling a very unique perspective here. And I saw that there were a lot of very positive reactions to the character animation styles uh, that were done here from the from the hair to the skin. I mean, the mannerisms, it was it was really well received from what I could tell. And it's another one that gives you tone of the movie but doesn't really reveal anything about the actual plot which i assume we'll get more there'll be more trailers as we get closer to the actual date but i do like that this first one just gives you like the feeling that the movie's going for without really getting into any specific plot details which i like as a teaser it's what a teaser should do i also like too that uh the lead character here played by stephanie beatrice mirabelle uh she seems to be an older protagonist doesn't seem to be like a young child or anything like that and that's very refreshing i think too for a disney movie right Oh, yeah, yeah. Considering, like, what who is the oldest, like, when you rank the ages of them, I think, like, the oldest, like, protagonist is, like, 21 or something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I think it can help the movie be more relatable to older audiences, too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that this is uh, based on what we've seen from this teaser and also its release date. I think that this was a wise decision from Disney uh, in terms of its placement because, you know, they've had a couple of different contenders this year uh, with uh, Luca as well as, um, oh, yeah, and Raya the Last Dragon. It, I, I can tell that. This one seems to have maybe out of all of them the most crossover appeal potentially. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting what Disney are doing at the moment in terms of their animated films. Like they are sort of trying new things and and it's good to see them do that because, you know, for too long, you know, they were kind of stuck in a rut with their animation. Yeah, I think these new stories and these uh, new representations that they're exploring on on screen is, is really like um fascinating and is a really good move for them to do so and you know they're leading a lot of the marketing here with uh lin-manuel miranda who's writing the film's music there's going to be eight original songs in both spanish and english in this movie but i think they should also be selling that this is from the directing team that gave us zootopia well i mean i don't know how much that really impacts an audience participation outside of like film geeks so i understand they just say hey it's disney you know, <laughs> for yeah for most people that's enough true yeah. true but still like before i said it right now how many of you knew that uh, i no i did not know that see and i'm more excited uh, now see there you go right so it's a little something <laughs> that they could i think push a little bit more from the filmmakers that brought you zootopia you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean because that was just such a well-received film in so many ways so 
uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited for this. And like I said, November 24th, great release date uh, in terms of keeping it fresh in voters' minds. We'll see how well it lands because this year is going to be a more competitive year for animated feature, I think, than uh, we've seen in recent years. So, is Disney going to run away with it this time, or are they going to face some? Uh, they're going to face some resistance. We'll have to wait and see. Let's hope. All right, and now we're going to end it this week with questions from the fans. Let's see what the MVP film community had to write in and ask us this week. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. James Robert Scott wants to know, with the recent news that Chris Stuckman will be making his feature directorial debut with Shelby Oaks, uh, will this leave the door open for more film YouTubers to make this leap? I mean, it could, you know, it, the possibilities are always going to be there to do it. Yeah. I mean, if you create a massive following on one social media platform, it is not irregular for opportunities to come of that from other social media platforms or other forms of entertainment in general. Because once people see that you have a level of engagement that is something that in today's world in 2021 people take that very seriously so chris stuckman god bless him i mean i've always enjoyed his movie reviews um even if i agree to disagree it didn't matter i always liked his presentation and his style and he's also been very revealing about his personal life uh through his videos as well i'm happy for the guy i'm glad that he's getting this opportunity considering that this is something that once again if you watch his videos you know, you've known for a long time that he's always wanted to go this route. Yeah, and he seems like a genuinely nice person too. So I'm, I am very happy for him. Yeah, yeah. Edward Douglas, I'm curious whether you and the panel think it's worth doing a Black Widow sequel, maybe starring Yelena, or if the movie is better as a one on one and done. I mean, considering that the movie just made almost a hundred million dollars at the box office this weekend, I think that at some point, if uh, Florence Pugh's character continues to do well in the other projects that they are going to have her be a part of in the MCU. I think giving her her own film at some point is definitely in the cards. Yeah, she Probably. certainly can carry it. So, yeah, I think she, I think it would be a waste of her like performance and her capabilities if they didn't do it. Like, she's already blown up with cinephiles uh, through her performances in Lady Macbeth, Midsummer, Little Women. Now she's blowing up with the global audience with this movie. So I think that she, at what, only 25 years old, she's making herself into one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood today. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've been seeing some things on uh, Twitter that are not film Twitter, uh, reactions from uh, moviegoers who just say, who is this girl? And I... Where has she been all my life? And that's kind of exciting to hear. Uh, and uh, I think the sky's the limit for her. Scott Kernan wants to know, with Best Picture going back to 10 nominees this year, what is an upcoming film that may not entirely be, quote unquote, Oscar friendly on paper that you hope can get into the Best Picture lineup based on passion alone? 
I mean, Bianca's going to say last night in Soho, uh, probably. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that um, pig. Oh, yeah, pig. <laughs> I love pig. Yeah, I, I can't wait for you guys to see that one if you haven't already. Oh, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Um, I'm hoping that since it is going to be a straight 10 again, that maybe we can get, as we've been kind of talking a lot in this episode, maybe an animated movie in this lineup. That would be nice to have that again. Flea. Yeah, Let it be Flea, yeah. please. Yes. <laughs> what oh. I've seen so far, I would definitely say it should be Flea. Yeah. Yes. I 100% agree with that. I would love to see Flea in there. Of course, I would love to see Dune in there. Um, I would even love to see if it's got the goods and it's say something along the lines of like, I don't know, James Mangold's Logan. I would love to see No Time to Die in there. Matt, you can't keep dangling that in front of me. I, I refuse to get my hopes up. About it's that. been a very, very, very long release schedule. I'm sorry that every now and then it comes up. <laughs> I know. It's just my own frustration, that entire situation. <laughs> and I'd like to see a documentary in there. I mean, that would be the dream. I was just about oh. to say that. Yeah. So many years where that should have happened. Oh man, yes. I would I would love to see that too. I think that with a straight ten, that that is more possible than not at some point. I would say so. Yeah, it still needs to be like a really special combination of things for it to happen. But I think that it could only happen with a straight ten. I it was never gonna come about with a sliding scale. And if I'm putting it out there right now, I'll say it again. Flea is an animated documentary. And and foreign language, too. Yeah. I'm telling you, Neon, you've got gold here. <laughs> uh, this one comes from Will Bruce. Any predictions you want to throw out there for what might show up at Venice, Telluride, and or TIFF? I mean, I, I, I obsess over the Telluride lineup every single year. Um, I occasionally will pop into our NBP general chat, and I'll just like... It, like three o'clock in the morning. I think this could premiere a Telluride, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just have like these random thoughts all the time about that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you're much better at it than I am, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know that the power of the dog is going to Venice. It makes a lot of sense that that's going to be Netflix's uh, marriage story, Roma, this year, where it will play everywhere, kind of like how Nomadland, even though that wasn't Netflix, did play everywhere last year. So I suspect that that will go to TIFF. It will go to Telluride. It might even go to NYFF, too. I mean, mean, we'll see how many places it drops at, but that is the one I think that's probably going to go everywhere. I feel like because it's a New York story, Tick, Tick, Boom could go to NYFF. Uh, but it could also go to Telluride. Hmm. What else? French Dispatch has been confirmed to go to NYFF after Cannes. Where do you think uh, Tragedy of Macbeth would show up? Uh, do you think it would be a TIFF? See, originally I thought that would be at Venice. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense too. I, I, I consider Venice to be the combination of big, big, big Oscar movies that make their world premieres, but also the place where you might get some divisive art house movies with uh, Oscar level prestige attached to them at the same time, you know? So tragedy Macbeth going there like makes sense to me. Plus Battle of Buster Scruggs also went to uh, Venice previously. So yeah. 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 I suspect that don't look up will be still be fiddled with in December. So I don't think I don't see that going to. Yeah. Festival. They, they mentioned that that's going to come out in December. So I, I can't imagine it going to the fall film festivals, they might just hold off on that until a December release, which, like I said, considering the star power of that movie, they may they just might not need a platform festival release for that, you know? Yeah. 
What about uh, Nightmare Alley? Shape of Water premiered at Venice, played at TIFF, and you know did quite well for itself, uh, also premiering at Telluride. Do we think Nightmare Alley could show up at any one of the fall film festivals? I mean, it seems like it would be a good position for it, given how successful Shape of Water was. It seems like you would want that. I don't know... Is, is that movie, like, done, though? I think that's the only question I have about it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I assume it would be because, I, yeah, I assume it would be. Yeah, I think I read that recently they just started, like, mixing the movie. So it is in post-production right now, but I don't know how far how far along in post-production it is at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Uh. No, I mean, like I said, Matt, you are usually like much more of the obsessive over this. No, I, I am. I am. I'm pretty I'm pretty crazy. Um, there's also I want to make a plug here, too, for um, if anyone's curious about the Telluride lineup, there is a uh, good blog that follows this all year long called Michael's Telluride blog. It's one of the few places I know that is wholly dedicated to trying to predict what's going to premiere at the Telluride Film Festival every year. So if you're obsessed with that in any way, uh, as I am, please do sure to check out uh, his blog. And then to finally uh, cap it all off here, just for fun, Isaiah Washington wants us to play a game of this or that. Put on your thinking caps, people. No hesitation. Just blurt it out. Here we go. This or that. Batman Begins or the Lego Batman movie? Lego, Lego Batman, Batman movie. movie. Batman Begins. Batman Begins. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan or 1917? Saving Private Ryan. 1917. Yeah. Private Ryan. Yeah, Private Ryan. The Martian or Gravity? Gravity. 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 <laughs> the Martian. Oh, whoa, okay. Mm. <laughs> Captain Marvel or Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman. Oh, Wonder Woman. Captain Marvel because the supporting actors are better. Ooh, I am going to pick Wonder Woman, but I actually really do like Captain Marvel as well. I wish we had like five more of these. That was that was fun. That was a good speed <laughs> round. <laughs> uh, what about Godzilla or King Kong? W- which Godzilla and which King Kong? <laughs> um, the new Godzilla. All right. So, so Peter Jackson, King Kong or Kong Skull Island? Kong Skull Island. Okay. So Kong Skull Island versus the new Godzilla. I'm going to go with Kong Skull Island. We're yeah. talking about the Godzilla 2014? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the 2014. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh I don't really like 20... either of those movies. <laughs> I think Kong Skull Island is more fun. Yeah. I, I think I would go with that one, although I'm like really genuinely surprised by how much I'm really not into that movie. But I do think the tone I respond to a little bit more than Godzilla. Uh, you know what? Just for fun, I'm going to I'm gonna do just uh, three more here, but I'm going to do it with the uh, Palm Door. Uh, winners, Ooh. just to mess with you all. <laughs> all right, uh, let's do. I'm just looking at this really quick. I'm gonna just take two and just pit them up against each other. Uh, Marty or the Lost Weekend? Lost Weekend. I'm going with Lost Weekend. I'm going with Lost Weekend. I think I'm gonna actually go with Marty. Taxi Driver or Pulp Fiction? No, oh, Taxi oh, Driver. So me. I'm going. I'm going with Taxi Driver, but that is really close. Oh, that is tough. Yeah, Taxi Driver. Yeah, I'm going to say Taxi Driver too, but it is close. Fahrenheit 9/11 or Mash? Mash. Mash. M- Mash. I'm going with Mash, but Fahrenheit 9/11 is an excellent documentary. Yeah, which is amazing how much money that movie made. It's like crazy <laughs> when you look back at it. It's like a documentary made like $200 million at the box office. That is insane. Secrets and Lies or Sex, Lies, and Videotape? 
Ooh. Oh. Ooh. I'm, go- I'm going with Secrets and Lies. I am too. Yeah. yeah. I just re- watched that recently, and I think that's top tier, Mike Lee. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Agreed. The Square or Wild at Heart? Wild at Heart. I'm going with Wild at Heart, too. I'm going to go with The Square. <laughs> yeah, I like The Square a lot, and Wild at Heart is a bit of a mess, but I, I'm more excited by Wild at Heart. Elephant or The White Ribbon? <laughs> uh, I mean, like Xanax? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with The White Ribbon. Yeah, I mean, th- that cinematography is too gorgeous to say no to, The White Ribbon. Both very, very haunting movies, but for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm actually going to say Elephant. Yeah, I think Elephant, if I'm going to be completely honest. All That Jazz or The Umbrellas of Cherbourg? Oh, all that Matt, jazz. this is so hard. <laughs> all That Jazz, not hard for me at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. All the Flash is great. Uh, all That Jazz. Uh, yeah, it has to be. It has to be All That Jazz, yeah. All right. And then the last one from two filmmakers who will have two films coming out this year. Barton Fink or The Piano? The Piano. Barton Fink. Yeah, Barton Fink. I'm going with the piano. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah. Can is can is fun. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I like I like having can in May, but I'm also kind of loving having it in July too. Yeah. I, I just like having new movies. <laughs> yeah. True, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this time next week, uh, like I said before, we'll be talking about the second part of the Cannes Film Festival. We'll also be considering uh what's going to be happening in terms of of course uh, awards prospects we'll know the palm door winner by that point and we'll know a little bit more about what movies were the most well received maybe we'll also know who's going to occupy that fifth slot and best director from an international feature this year <laughs> who knows uh but there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about bianca where can i find you on the internet you can find me at the film b josh parham i am on twitter at jr parham Tom O'Brien. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 251 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you like what you're listening to right now, you want to subscribe to us on all the podcast networks, you totally can. Feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. Five-star rating. Anything else is unacceptable. But leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at our Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us, including the continuation of our 2013 retrospective, which is going on throughout the month of July with reviews upcoming for Frozen and Gravity, and then one more month with three more reviews coming in August. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.